You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Coop. This morning, if you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 9. Would you say with me this morning, thank you, Lord, for the book of Luke. We better do that one more time. You're going to beat Luke when you get to heaven. So why don't we do it one more time? And, he, and then and you'll say, man, I was, I, I was really enthused about your book. Let's do it one more time. Thank you, Lord, for the book of Luke. Yeah, Luke's a cool guy. He's a doctor. He wasn't a Jew, so he's a little bit different than the rest of the authors in the Scripture. He's a, he's a, a Gentile, and he writes another book. He also wrote the book of Acts. So you've got two books there by Dr. Luke. So we're going to read his account today out of Luke chapter 9. The message today is called When Second Comes First. Last week, as you know, we were in the United States, and uh, there was a lot of uh, Canadian T-shirts and jerseys where we were. We saw a lot of them, and uh, every Canadian that was uh, down there was loud and proud, I am Canadian. And, you know, the Americans were so generous to us. They were, everyone I talked to, they were, way to go, we're happy for you guys. They were genuinely thrilled that we had such a great Olympic experience. Uh, we ended up winning, I heard, 14 gold medals, and uh, that is a huge accomplishment. 14 times we came first, broke some records doing that. We live in a world where we want to be number one. We want to be first. We want to be first in the Olympics. We want to be first in our company. We want to be first in sports. We want to be number one. And then God comes along and says, I want you to be number two. I want you to be second. I don't want you to be first. But if you will allow me to be first, you will actually end up being first. He said, how does that work? Well, that's what this morning's message is about, to tell you how that works. So let's get started. And uh, in your notes there, if you've got your notes, in order to be second and allow God to be first, we've got to give God the steering wheel of our life. Now, I brought a steering wheel, sort of a steering wheel with me. And it's actually just a steering wheel cover. <laughs> but you'll get the picture. So here, here's the steering wheel. Now, Corey Ten Boone, if you've ever read anything of Corey Ten Boone, she spent time in a concentration camp. Amazing Christian. I think if you look up Christian in the dictionary, her name's there. She's that type of a Christian. And uh, she wrote a number of great books. But one thing that she said that struck me, she said that many Christians treat God like he's their spare tire. He's their spare wheel. They allow God to be their spare wheel. And that is, if they have a problem, they have an accident, they say, God, I need you. They pull them out of the trunk. They pray. God rescues them, gets them back on the road again. And about 10 miles down the road, they say, God, thank you very much. I don't need you anymore. You can go back into the trunk now. And then later on, when they have another problem, they cry out to God, say, God, God, please help me. God, please, if you just get me through this, if I just get that job, if you'll just allow that man to marry me, or if you'll just do whatever... I'll follow you the rest of my life. And then they do that, and about 10 miles down the road, they put God back in the trunk again. So her point was this. God is not supposed to be your spare wheel. God actually wants the steering wheel of your life. Now, for Jesus to have the steering wheel of your life, that means you give him control. And uh, maybe you've driven, you've had a backseat driver, and the backseat driver is telling you, turn here, do this, speed up, slow down, put your blinker on. And it, it can get really irritating to have that. But the Lord says, I want to be the steering wheel. I want the steering wheel of your life. 
A couple of years ago, there was a song that came out by Carrie Underwood, and she, it was, the song was called Jesus Take the Wheel. And uh, it became number one on the country charts and also did very well on other charts. The video was listed in the top 100 videos. The video is an amazing video. And if you watch it, you'll see where she's singing about Jesus take the wheel for a young woman's life, for an elderly couple's life, for a couple that was fighting over finances. It was like, I don't know what to do, Jesus. Take the wheel. And sometimes that's the way we give Jesus the wheels because I don't know what to do. So, Lord, take over. I don't know what to do. Now, the idea is this. If you want to find the abundant life Jesus talked about, because remember he said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. If we want to experience that abundant life, we have to allow Jesus to have the steering wheel Keep the steering wheel. And even though it's tempting at times to say, Lord, can I just take it back for a bit? I think I know how to handle this one. Or I really don't want you to steer that way because I know which way you'll go. You have to continually let him have the steering wheel of your life. Then you find the abundant life. If I was asked this morning, how many of you here would really in your life want to experience fulfillment, your purpose. You look back at the end of your life and you say, man, I'm leaving a legacy. My life counted. It was fulfilling. There was purpose. I think every one of us would raise our hands. If you wouldn't raise your hands, we'd have an altar call for the dead or something because every one of us should want to live a life that's fulfilling, right? Well, the way we do that, and it sounds contrary to what good logic is, but the way we do that is not to be number one. The way we do that is to allow Jesus to be number one, and we're actually second. We're not number one. We're second. When second becomes first, that's the title for the message today. We're actually on a series of second. Next week, we'll talk about playing second fiddle. We live in a world where Again, driven to be number one. But you can play second fiddle and be very fulfilled in life. Joseph played second fiddle. He wasn't number one in Egypt. He was number two. Sometimes we miss the abundant life because we're so driven to be number one that we miss the role that God asks us to play. Then we're also going to talk about going the second mile. So we're going to go into a number of seconds in the weeks to come. Luke 17, 33, it's there in your notes if you like uh, go to your notes. This is out of the Message Bible. If you grasp and cling to life on your terms, that's where a lot of the world's at. They want their terms. They even want to make God in their image instead of remembering that we were created in his image. If you grasp and cling to life on your terms, you'll lose it. In other words, you will not have this great life that you think you'll have. You may have some money. You may have this and that and things and all the rest of it, but you won't have the fulfillment of life that you're looking for. You'll have emptiness. But if you let that life go, you'll get life on God's terms, the abundant life. There is a rich, abundant life waiting for you here and, of course, eternity. But that abundant life comes when you say, God, you're number one, I'm number two. There's a, a group that I really didn't know much about until I came to this website. In my studying, I came across a website called I Am Second. And as I was going through the testimonies on there, I encourage you to go there. Great testimonies. And at the end of all the testimonies, they say, I Am Second. There was a guy by the name of Brian Welch. His nickname was Head. And I had never heard of the guy. I'd never heard of his group. But I asked the young people. They'd all heard of the group. The group was called Corn. How many heard of the group called Corn? 
Okay, there's almost all of them are young hands that went up in the air. There's very few old hands that went. Everybody younger put up their hand for that one. And anyhow, he gives a bit of his testimony on that uh, website. Let me play a little bit of his testimony for you this morning. My uh, real estate broker, Eric, he, uh, he said, Brian, I don't mean to be weird with you. I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but I, f- I felt the scripture, like, up Christ in front of everybody right now. Now I'm going to go home and snort drugs until I don't want to do them anymore. And that was my way of thinking. So I received Christ at the church. I went home, neglected my daughter, and put her in front of the TV. I remember I grabbed a $100 bill. I always used a $100 bill for some reason, pride or something. I chopped up my crystal meth, got it all smooth and powdery, and I Eric, he, uh, he said, Brian, I don't mean to be weird with you. I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but I, f- I felt the scripture, like, jump out at me. I've never done this before, you know, so I don't really know how to do this, but I felt like this would mean something to you. It's Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Come to me. All who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I remember all tweaked out. I looked up in the dictionary, weary. I looked up burdened, and I just I pulled the scripture apart. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm weary and burdened, and I need rest for my soul. And uh, I didn't know if it was real, but, the, you know, they invited me to church a couple, couple weeks later, and I had received Christ. At the church, I went home, neglected my daughter, got it all smooth and powdery. Jesus, you got to take these drugs from me. Search me right now. Search my heart. Father. I felt so much fatherly love from, from heaven. And it was like, I don't condemn you. I love you. I love you. It was just love, love. And instantly, that love from God came into me. It was so powerful that the next day I threw away all my drugs and uh, I quit corn. I was like, I'm quitting corn and I'm going to raise my kid because my kid, like I got the love from God coming to me and then it came out of me to my kid. It changed me. My heart was changed like that. And I was like, Janaya, daddy's going to be home with you all the time. I'm quitting my career. And her face lit up and she's like, for me, you know, she felt so special and, uh, God used her to save me, to save her life later on. My dream came true way more than I dreamt about. I, got, I made more money. I played bigger shows. I mean, houses, cars. I tried drugs. I tried sex. I tried everything to try to get pleasure out of this life. And I thought that I could fulfill my life with all this stuff by, by having my dream come true. And it came true, but it didn't fulfill it. When Christ came in, that feeling, he gives you the gift of understanding life, which is everything was created for Christ and by him. And we we're created to be with him. And it's the most incredible feeling because you're where you belong. And contentment is given to you in life because you don't have to look anywhere else. And you're exactly where you need to be. And the question about life is answered.
I'm Brian Head Welch, and I'm second. Great story, isn't it? Contentment. Yeah, give God a hand for what he's done. Changing lives. We want to celebrate that. Contentment. When he became second, he says, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. So many people say, where am I supposed to be? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? We find that by saying, God, you're number one. I'm going to be number two. That's where he found contentment. He didn't find contentment playing bigger shows, doing more drugs, having more sex, having more cars, having more things. He found contentment there. Luke chapter 9, if you have your Bibles or the notes, verse 57 to 62, it's a story about three guys. Two of them say, Lord, I want to follow you. The middle one, Jesus says, would you like to follow me? And every one of them is an example where they have an excuse not to follow the Lord. So let's read Luke 9, 57, 62. Now, it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Another also said, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Now stop right there, and let's just take a note of something that should be jumping out to us that we should circle. If you go back to verse 59, it says, look carefully. It says, Lord, let me first. So circle the word me first, go and bury my father. Then go down to verse 61, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. So if you want to follow Jesus, how many know you cannot be first? If you want to follow Jesus, you can say, let me first. And we've all done that. Lord, I'll do that, but let me first. Or I'll do that, but let me first. No, no, if we want to follow Jesus, I know this is real deep this morning, but hang on there. You aren't first. If you're following Jesus... He's first in the decisions and the directions that you take in your life. Then in verse 62, Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So let's take a look at the definition of follow. It's in your notes there. Follow, by definition, means to go or come after, move or travel behind, come after in time or order, accept according to an instruction or precept, pay close attention to something. That's what it means to follow. Life is kind of like climbing a mountain, a mountain that you've never climbed before. The fulfillment, contentment is in the journey up this mountain. Purpose. Your purpose is like a mountain. Your destiny is like a mountain. The problem is we've never climbed the mountain before, but There on the mountain is our purpose and our destiny. There's different ways to climb up the mountain. There's dangers and there's all this with the mountain. But if we want to go up the mountain, we really need a guide. So let's let's have an illustration this morning. And uh, I'm gonna I'll I'll pick on Romer this morning. (laughs) Okay. So let's say the stage is Mount Baker. Okay. So this is Mount Baker, and this is the mountain that we're gonna climb. And uh, Romer's going to be the, the climby, and I will be the guide today, okay? So Romer's going to, he's going to climb the mountain with me this morning. Now, uh, Romer, are, are you up for it? Would you, would you like to climb this mountain? You want to follow me up the mountain? All right, so Romer's up for it. He wants to, he wants to climb Mount Baker. Uh, 
I've wanted to climb Mount Baker for a long time. Haven't quite yet got my wife's full approval on that, but we're working on that. And uh, at any rate, so we're going to use Mount Baker as an example. Maybe it's prophetic. I don't know. But <laughs> Romer said, I'd like to climb Mount Baker. Now, Romer's had to, uh, he's had to leave some things behind already. He had to leave his, his comfortable seat behind. He had to leave his guitar behind. He's had to leave the, the worship team behind, so to speak. So he's had to leave some things behind, and uh, he's already had to kind of count the cost to, to follow me up the mountain. So are you ready to go, Romer? All right, let's, we're going to climb Mount Baker, folks, and uh, he's going to follow me up the mountain. So let's get started. That's where we're going, Mount Baker. Are you ready, Romer? Okay, let's go. Now, the first thing Romer is wondering as we're heading off to Mount Baker, he's thinking, uh, guide, I think you're going the wrong way. Because <laughs> Mount Baker is that way, and we're going this way. Shouldn't we be going over there? And, you know, if you follow Jesus, you're going to have that conversation. You're going to say, Jesus, I think you're going the wrong way. Because I'm supposed to be doing this with my life, and you got me going over here. What in the world are we doing over here? And, uh, see, it would have been easier if we went that way, but over there's a crevice. Over there, if we went that way, the snow's covering right now, you can't see, but if we went that way, we'd fall down to the crevice, and we could possibly die. So we have to go around the crevice. We have to go around the danger. Sometimes in our life, God takes us around things, and he may tell us, or he may not tell us. A guide may say, Romer, we're going this way because there's a crevice there, or we may just say, Romer, suck it up and follow me. This is the way we're going. I don't have to tell you everything. Trust me. You trust me or don't you? I don't have to tell you. Just let's go. So we're going to keep going, all right? We're, we're, we're heading toward Mount Baker. We're climbing along. About this time, Romer says, can you please speed it up, all right? Like, this is going way too slow. When you follow somebody, there's some things you don't get to do. You don't get to set the direction. God sets the direction. When you follow somebody, you don't set the pace. They set the pace. And sometimes we think, God, God, you're going way too slow. Come on, God, please hurry things up. I've got things to do. And we want to get to what we feels in our heart. We get impatient, so forth. But if you follow somebody, they set the direction. They set the pace. And also when you follow somebody, you, uh, you can't stop. If Romer stops there, the guy just keeps going. He has to go back and say, come on, Romer, you've got to come with me. Or he can't say, you know what, I think I'll just go another way. Jesus, or guide, you just go on ahead a bit. I want to go over there and check that out. I'll catch up with you later. If you're climbing the mountain, the guide will say, hey, check it out if you like to, but guess what, we're moving on. Or he says, I think I want to turn back. It's too late to turn back. You've made a commitment to follow Jesus. You can't turn back. We're committed. We're going forward. So let's keep going, Romer. All right? So Romer keeps coming with me, and we're headed towards the mountain. We're going to climb the mountain. And oftentimes in our life, we feel like we're in the trees, we're in the forest, we're in the valleys. And God, when's a breakthrough going to come? But if we trust him, we'll find amazing breakthroughs in our life. It doesn't always take the direction we think it should. It doesn't always come the way we like to. But as we follow him, we end up experiencing an abundant life, and we end up being first. He makes us look a lot better than what we are. Why? Because we were second. We allowed him to have the steering wheel of our life. Romer, you're a great climber. Thanks for journeying with me. (laughs) Give him a hand. So let's look at these three guys. The first fellow... Out of verse 58, 
Jesus' response to him was, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The Lord was telling him that you're going to have to put aside your earthly security. If you want to follow me, he's telling him, you know what, I don't, I don't have a place to lay my head. I, I sleep in homes that I don't own. His tomb was borrowed. His donkey was borrowed that he rode in on Palm Sunday. He said, so if you want to follow me, understand this, that following me, you will not be putting your trust and your hope, your fulfillment will not come in earthly achievements and accomplishments. If you think life is going to be fulfilling, contentment comes from earthly achievements and accomplishments, then don't follow me. Most people want more members. You want more customers. You want more followers. You want more people on your Facebook. You want more people tweeting with you. You, you know, people measure your success on Twitter. About how many people got following you? How many people got following you? And we want more, not less. But when you listen to the Lord, it's like he was actually thinning the ranks. He was, what he tells him isn't easy. He said, hey, if you want to follow me, this is the way it's going to be. And, it, you know, in a way, it doesn't cause us to leave. It causes us to be attracted to it because there's strength, there's commitment, there's leadership, there's truth in the words that Jesus says. So if we want to follow Jesus and put him first, that means letting go and realizing that the abundant life comes when we realize he comes before our earthly security. Then for the second fellow, Jesus actually talks to him. He says to another in verse 59, follow me. And this guy says again, let me first go bury my father. To follow Jesus requires putting him before family. Family comes after Jesus. Number one is Jesus. We're second. Now, the words that he says to him sounds almost kind of hard because he says in verse 60, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Now, God wants us to go to our parents' funerals or our loved ones' funerals, okay? So don't get that mixed up. He, he's okay with that. He wants us to honor them and so forth. What's he saying here? To understand a little bit of the culture of the time, there was a phrase in the day, let the dead bury their own dead. And what that phrase meant was, in their time, was, uh, I'm going to wait till I receive my inheritance. This guy was really saying, I'm going to wait till I receive my inheritance. I'd like to follow you, Jesus, but can I just wait till I get my inheritance? My dad's got about a half a million dollars I know that I'm going to receive. He's going to die in about a year, and I'm going to have this half million dollars, and it'll be so much easier for me to follow you if I had this money. I knew then I'd be a little more secure, and so let me just have a little more time, and then I'll come follow you. That may not apply to you, but for some people, you know what, let me just get my education, and then I'll sell out to you, Jesus. Then you can be number one in my life. Or, Lord, I'll, I'll let you be number one in my life, but let me just first go get my boyfriend, okay? I'm going to just dodge a church for a little bit. I'm going to go to the bar. I'm going to hang out there. I'll find, I haven't found any good-looking guys at church. So I'll go find them somewhere else, and then I'll come back, and then I'll really let you be number one. God says, no, no, if you want to follow me, then I need to be first. You have to trust me with it. If you want this abundant life, then let me set the course. Let me set the pace. Let me set the direction for your life. The third fella, he responds to the Lord. He says, you know what? I want to follow you. And, uh, but first, let me go and bid farewell to those who are at my house. And Jesus requires him to put himself, Jesus, before the distractions of life. He responds to him and says, no one having put his hand to the plow, looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. When I grew up on the farm, we had to plow the field. And my dad, when I was a teenager, put me on the tractor. 
And he said, okay, son, you're going to plow the field. And you see down there at the end of, the, end of that half mile, the, the, the piece of land is about half mile long. He says, way down there is, a, is this fence post with a rock on it. See that fence post with a rock on it? Now, I want you to look at that fence post. Keep your eye on that fence post. Don't take your eye off it. And you just look at that. And when you get to the end of that fence post there, where that end of the field where the fence post is, look back and the line will be straight. It'll be, you, you'll live the straight life sort of thing. And so I'm on the tractor as a young kid. And I'm, I'm looking at that fence post. It's making sense to me. But I see mice scurry around because they're being stirred up in the ground and they lived in, underneath some of the, under the, under the swaths and I see these mice coming out and I get distracted because i got my dog running beside me and the tractor. The dog's chasing the mice. Then there's some birds that are looking. There's a hawk circling looking for a mouse. What teenage boy is going to watch a fence post when you can watch mice being hunted? So... <laughs> I am looking for, hey, go get him, Rover, go get him. I'm just, and anyhow, I was not watching the fence post. By the time I get the fence post, I look back, and my, my row looked like a bad S. I mean, all the way down. It just it snaked all the way to the end. It was a mess. And, you know, our life is like that. If we, uh, if we look back to the distractions of life, we will not experience the abundant life that he promised us in this journey. He's got to be number one. We have to be number two. Cheryl and I, as she mentioned, we started dating 33 years ago. Man, it seems like a long time. People have been married 30 years or more. They're old. Anyhow, I don't know who they are, but we're not old. We're just still young. We started dating 33 years ago. And we were in Bible school here. Shortly after that, we moved to Calgary, and uh, I had to get on my career path. Cheryl was, uh, she, she was working. She put me through school. I had taken some university prior to that. And then I went to SATE uh, Tech School and graduated from there in Petroleum. And I only had a semester left to get my engineering degree. Went back to work in the industry. And then I applied at the Montana School of Mines in Butte, Montana. They only took five Canadian students. I was chosen, had good grades, had great experience, had started as a roughneck and worked my way through the industry. And so I got hired or got accepted to the school. We went down there, went to Butte, a little town, cool little town, got a place to live, was all signed up, ready to go. Came back in about mid-July, just before the fall semester, God spoke to our hearts and he said, I want you to go back to Bible school. And we just said, wait a minute, God, this does not make sense. I said exactly what these guys said here. I said, let me first, let me first go get that education. I'll have one semester left. That's four months, and I'll have my tin ring. Let me go there first, and then I'll go to Bible school. Then I'll follow you, but let me first go do that. I know none of you have ever done that, but I did that. I said, let me first go back to school. Let me finish that. But he wouldn't leave us alone. The guide said, no, 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 come with me, trust me. Follow me. Go back to Bible school. The Bible school that opened up for us was in Tennessee, a long ways away. Long ways away. I think God intentionally took us a ways away so that we wouldn't be tempted to go back. So we wrestled with it. I said, Lord, tell me. I need more. And he spoke something to our hearts. He said, if you will go, if you will trust me with this, I will open doors for you where you would need that degree and you'll find that you'll never need it. Now, trust me. It was a big step. I'd put a lot of money into it, had a lot of work experience. It was my path, and uh, God had been good to us. And now, 
It made no sense. I remember going to my boss because my company was going to pay for the schooling, which was another nice feature. They would pay for my schooling. They said, when you graduate, Dave, you can come back. You can work just west of Calgary. There's a little town called Jumping Pound, and it's a beautiful place in the foothills. You can manage the field there, and then you can have your ranch there. That's what I dreamt of. That's what I thought my mountain experience would be. Now, God was saying, that's not the direction. But I was saying, but that looks like the direction. He said, no, no, that's not the direction. And so I had to give him the steering wheel of my life and say, okay, then I will go over there. He said, trust me, you'll never need that degree. So we went down to school, spent a year in Tennessee, spent a year in Ohio, and we said, okay, we're called to the ministry. We ended up in Regina where Cheryl's parents lived. There was a free bed there, so we ended up there, and we stayed with her parents. And I thought, okay, I'm God's man of power for the hour. Let's go and preach. And I phoned up a local church and said, hey, I just got out of Bible school, was here and did that in Ohio and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I'd like to come speak for you sometime. When's a good Sunday? When would that work for you? He said, it'll never work for me. Who are you? And I said, well, you know, he says, who's your pastor? He said, well, I haven't quite got a pastor. I just moved here. He said, oh, so what's your church? And he said, he says, you know what? Uh, I can't use you. You need to really... You need to learn some lessons. And so I went to the church about a month later, sat in the back row, and he said, I had an interesting phone call about a month ago. This guy calls me up and said that he'd like to come speak at our church. Oh, man, that's me. How dumb. So I said, Lord, now what am I going to do? I, you know, I, I didn't take that opportunity. I spent two years there. Now what am I supposed to do? It's like I hit a dead end. And again, the Lord said, just trust me. Follow me. So guys got to work, so I put in applications, and I applied for a job that had a higher requirement of education than what I had for energy and mines, and they hired me. I found out I was working with other engineers that had their tin ring, but I didn't have it, but I got the job. They said, we don't normally do this, but we're going to hire you. I worked there for a couple of years, and I went to work for another consulting firm. He was a geologist and an engineer, and I found myself doing well site engineering. Didn't have the requirements of others, but I found myself working there. When the industry slowed down, I went to work for another company, a chemical engineering firm, and the guys around me had engineering degrees, but I didn't. God kept his word, and he was so true to his word. Then we started our own oil company. We bought some oil wells on our own and started developing that. And, and it was amazing what God was doing. And I was, got involved with full gospel businessmen. And things were just beginning to flourish in our company. Things were flourishing. We're speaking on the side. Well, that's it. I'm going to be a business person. And I'll use my time when I have to serve the Lord. And then he says, I want you to change direction. Now you're going to Vancouver. I says, God, but I don't want to go to Vancouver. <laughs> I have no desire to go to Vancouver. I kind of like what I have here. We got our house, a house you could buy for $80,000 in Regina. That's a nice house. Can't buy a lot for that in Vancouver. I don't know what you buy for that in Vancouver. You can buy a parking spot next door for $80,000. There you could buy a house, a nice house. You know, the house we lived in said, we will see our kids graduate from school out of this house. That's what we dreamt. We were, we were planted there. Then he says, no, that's not the way up the mountain for you. Do I have the steering wheel or don't I? I said, okay, God, you have the steering wheel. Okay. So we unpacked. We packed up. We moved out here and moved, planted a church in the west end of Vancouver. Hello. It made no sense to us. Why would we be doing here? But today, I know that we have a level of contentment, fulfillment that we would have never had had we taken that other path. It's not my plan. It was not the way I would have gone. But there is a God 
There is a Holy Spirit who will guide you through life and you will experience the abundant life. But if you say, Lord, I have to have the steering wheel, I have to be in control of my life, you will not experience that abundant life that he promises to you. There are seasons when it looks like you're going the wrong way. There are seasons it looks like there's not enough provision. There are seasons when it does not make sense the direction you're going. But if you will trust him with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and acknowledge him, he will direct your paths. Folks, I'm preaching to somebody this morning. You got to get this. God wants you to experience abundant life and see things from his perspective. That means letting him be number one, you're number two. Uh, To follow Jesus requires putting him before the distractions of life. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I just quoted for you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him in all your ways. Acknowledge him. Lord, what way do I go? You have the steering wheel. What way do I go? Now, i got to quickly slip this in here. After every message, last night, this morning's message, people come up and said, Okay, how do I know if it's God speaking to me? How do I know it's his voice? How did you know God say to you, I will always open doors for you. You don't need that degree. How did you know God's voice? If you have that question in your mind, be here Wednesday night when we do the Abundant Life course on how to be led by the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that, how to hear God's voice, how to hear the voice of your guide. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, my thoughts are completely different from yours, says the Lord, and my ways are beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Follow God's ways, you go to a higher place. Follow his thoughts, you get a higher place. You get up the mountain, higher place in life, letting him be number one. Lastly, John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If we want to experience abundant life, the riches that he has for us, it says, Lord, you're number one. I'll be number two. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.